Turn with me, if you will, to your, in your Bibles. Uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10, going through verse 10, or, or verse 32 through 39. Uh, we're continuing this series, making a little bit of a shift uh, in uh, the, the, uh, the writer's thinking. Uh, he has laid out kind of a lot of the, the indicatives, and now we're moving a little bit into the imperatives. Um, so I hope you will be encouraged by this word this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 32, and then we'll go all the way through verse 39. He says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning uh, in need of your mercy, in need of your teaching. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning for your wisdom and guidance as we look at your word. We pray that you would guide us in truth and give us understanding that we might grow in faith today and trust you more this week. As we face trials, I pray you would show us how to live a life of faithful endurance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In my office, uh, back through those doors, there's a photograph hanging on the wall, and it's a picture of a ship, and it's kind of keeled to one side, and it's locked in ice. Uh, and if you know that picture, uh, it's, it's Ernest Shackleton's ship. Uh, and if you know his story, he and 27 men set out in 1914 to be the first team or the first people to cross the Antarctic by dog sled. Uh, So they took this on, and it was pretty early into the trip that their ship gets locked in ice, uh, so much so that it it encapsulates it, and then they're stuck. Uh, So that ship was called Endurance, and so the photo is called the beginning of the end. And so it's when they realize that the ship is done for. And so they they take everything off, the ice loosens up, and the ship is lost, and it sinks. And so for the next two years, two years, they endure life on the ice and life on the water, trying to make it back home. They endured attacks from leopard seals, from orcas, snow blindness, I mean, starvation. Even their clothes at one point are just kind of rotting off. It's just so miserable. But after two years, everyone makes it home. Not a single person is lost. And so the ship is aptly named Endurance. And little did they know the endurance it was going to require for them to make it back home. And it's the same in the Christian life. Little do we realize, little do we recognize the endurance that is required to walk the Christian life and to make it home. See, the center point of this passage is verse 36. He says, for you are in need of endurance. Up to this point, we have heard all the reasons not to fall away. But here we're beginning to hear a little more of why, we get a glimpse of why they are tempted to. 
And I think the message is still applicable for us today. So the question I want to ask uh, this morning is, how do we faithfully persevere in the present? How do we faithfully persevere in the presence? And there are going to be two answers to that question. And there's point one and point two. Point one is we remember the past. And the other is we, re- we look forward to the future. And so first point, we remember the past. We recall previous seasons of endurance. Verse 32 says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. You see, the Hebrew writer, or the writer is writing to the Hebrews, he's speaking to a congregation of Jewish Christians, which means that after they first heard of Jesus and responded to the gospel, their entire way of life changed, right? Their entire life was built around the Old Testament sacrificial system, and because Jesus has fulfilled that, it's done away with, and therefore their entire life has begun to change. They no longer attend the temple on Saturdays, but rather they worship Jesus likely in homes on Sunday mornings. They no longer took their goats and lambs as sacrifices and offerings, but rather they rest in the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. They no longer give tithes to the temple leaders, but they give to their budding church plant. They have been rejected from the society they were, that had been brought up in, and they would have been cast out likely from family circles. In other words, they gave up everything for the sake of Christ. And they endured. And that word endure is used, it's used 17 times in the New Testament. And it's almost always, there's a handful of exceptions, but always in the context of trials. It means to remain and not recede or flee, to preserve under misfortunes and trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to bear bravely and calmly Ill treatments. And ill treatments, as we are hearing, is, is exactly what they, what they received. Verse 33 says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Most of the commentaries kind of separate these two out. Publicly exposed to reproach is more aimed at kind of verbal abuse, right? It gives the language of being put up on stage and made a laughing stock, right? Made into a, a public spectacle, And then, therefore, afflictions or tribulation is more likely aimed at more physical abuse. And if it's not physical, it's a pressure which weighs down on one's spirit so much that a person feels it viscerally. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. And so they're just lumped in with their friends. Guilty by association. Sometimes the insults are aimed at, their, at them specifically, but others it's aimed at their friends and they are lumped in uh, by association. He says in 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, likely those thrown in prison for their faith. But you showed compassion to them and you're suffering for it. So imagine going to visit a friend out of support and compassion and getting publicly shamed for it. Or going to bring a neighbor food and clothing and you get back home and your house has been vandalized. So if that, if that happened to me, I would be furious, right? You show up and you, your house has been trashed. You'd be furious. How would you respond? Would you, would you look for revenge? You know, would you just kind of give up at a discouragement? Look at verse 34 and how they responded. It says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted it. 
In Acts 5, the apostles are arrested and they're taken before the Jewish leaders. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, these people have been hurt emotionally and physically and now it's affecting them financially. Their possessions are being confiscated and stolen and destroyed all because they're committed to following Jesus. And they receive it joyfully. This is, it's somewhat extraordinary, right? I mean, it, we read this and you kind of, they might not be normal human beings. To watch someone suffer that intensely and to be joyful and to worship and to praise God that they are worthy, something's different, something's unique about them. See, the next chapter, and I think next week, we'll be looking at uh, chapter 11, right? We call that the Hall of Faith, right? See, this chapter is beginning to tee that up. And we will see next week, we'll look at Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Isaac and Jacob. And in my mind, I kind of put these folks in a, in a different box, right? Kind of these are the outliers. These are kind of the heroes of the faith. But what I love about this passage is he starts with kind of the ordinary person in the pew, the congregation, right? This is the first century Christian church. A congregation of ordinary people living a life of endurance through faith in Jesus. And what he is saying to them is, by faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. That was you. And this is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And the fact that they had endured in the past was evidence of true faith and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, they possessed something far greater than worldly comforts. And he's reminding them in verse 34, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so what is that better possession? Well, it's, it's everything he's been talking about up to this point. Right? I mean, the last nine and a half chapters have been laying out this better possession. In chapter two, he talks of Jesus' defeat of death that frees us from the fear of death. In chapter four, he talks about a true Sabbath rest for God's people. Chapter seven, that we are able and we get to draw near to God. In chapter eight, he talks about the removal and even the forgetting of all of our sins and that we can actually know God and that he will be our God forever. And then in chapter 10, the subduing of all our enemies. You see, these are the possessions that were theirs. And so to watch their property be plundered and their name be shamed wasn't a big deal because they knew they had a better and an abiding possession. And so he says in verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance. See, back when they were first enlightened, they believed these truths and they clung to them as a better possession. Their faith in Jesus was strong because they endured suffering and affliction with joy. They're like Job. I mean, that Job passage does not make sense unless the Spirit is in him. Rather than discouraging defeat and anger at what they had lost, they worshiped. They worshiped the living God. And he is reminding them of the confidence they once had and charging them to hold on to it because of all of those better possessions 
that all of those possessions still belong to them if they endure through faith. So if you and I are going to preserve and persevere in the present, then we have to take the time to recall our own former days of suffering, the things that God has already done in our own past. And so the question is, what, what hardships have you endured by faith in Jesus? I, I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of a given that you're likely enduring some suffering today, but I want you to think past. What have you endured in the past? What did you learn about Jesus through that process? What did you learn about the impermanence of this world? Was it direct persecution, insults, or mocking words? Maybe the loss of a job or a loss of a promotion? Have you had a friend pull away from you because you are following the commands of Scripture? Maybe it's not direct persecution, but it's a trial. It was a trial nonetheless. The loss of a loved one, health issues that just won't go away. What was God teaching you in that moment? And it's, this is what he's doing. He is inviting them to remember what they have experienced and the faith that was grown out of that as the Lord uh, held them up and endured to, to endurance. A friend and mentor of mine, he's involved in training church planners. As he's interviewing would-be church planning applicants, he, he always likes to ask the question, you know, when was a time that you experienced great suffering? And walk me through that. And he's found that if, if someone comes and they have not really experienced real suffering, he's got a, a concern in his mind that they aren't ready to experience what a church planner will face because they've not experienced the grace of, of Christ to sustain them through and to grow their faith. And see, part of our growing in our faith is enduring hard struggles and sufferings. And we are fa- when we are facing the unknown, I mean, that's our biggest fear, right? The, the unknown. We need to be able to look back and see what is known. That Christ is real. His promises are true. And this world is fleeting. And we have a better possession and an abiding one. And experiencing struggles with suffering teaches us just that. That's why James says in chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then Paul in Romans 5, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. See, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to remember the things they learned in the past as they pressed forward in faith and apply what you learned to today. And then he's going to shift directions and he's going to point them to the future, which brings us to point two, our second point, if we are to preserve in the present, not only do we recall the past, but we look to the future when we will receive what is promised. Verse 36 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So endurance in the present will end in receiving the future promise. And then he quotes from Habakkuk and there's this little tagline from Isaiah. He says, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. That little tagline, yet a little while, pops up in different places. But it's really in relation to all of eternity. It's only a little while before Christ returns is what he's saying. The coming one will come, refers to the Messiah's second coming. 
So he's saying it won't be much longer until Christ returns. Now think about that. That was written like 2,000 years ago. And some people have lost heart because it seems like that'll never happen. But life in reality is pretty short when you compare it to eternity. All right, eternity is eternity. The two just don't compare. And when it seems like forever, it's really a blip on the screen and compared to eternity. It's like waiting for water to boil. After the fact, it really didn't seem that long. <laughs> but when you're waiting, it seems like forever. So the writer, he can easily say with confidence, yet a little while and Christ will return. He's saying, don't lose hope. Jesus will come soon. And this season of suffering and the need for endurance will come to an end and the reward will be great. So the writer of Hebrews is not the only one that speaks this way. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, after you have suffered a little while, there it is, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In Romans 8, it says, For consider this, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re revealed to us. And again, Paul's, Paul says to the Corinthians, For this light and momentary affliction, think about what he just called that, persecution that they're facing, he says, This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, Christ will return and he will not delay. In other words, he's not going to be late. He's not running behind and will apologetically show up and say, my, my alarm didn't go off or I missed a turn. No, Christ is going to arrive in his perfect timing. And in the meantime, we wait in faith for the promised reward of the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 38, he says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That word for shrink back, it was used in, in classic Greek to describe a ship's sail that was furled, right? You know, brought down, wrapped, and fastened to the mast, and thus stalling the ship to kind of float aimlessly with the tide, See, no sail up, no wind caught, no movement forward. To shrink back in this context is to prove that you have no saving faith at all. It's important to note what he's not saying here. He's not talking about expressing doubts or being confused about a particular teaching or even lacking assurance of faith. He's talking about someone who has heard the gospel and says, you know what, it's, it's not worth it. I don't need Jesus. The individual who draws back from the knowledge of the gospel and proves faithless will prove to be what's called an apostate, one who never had saving faith to begin with. But on the other hand, endurance proves that a person is genuinely saved, but it does not earn it. But endurance only proves that a person is genuinely saved. Believers are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, and a believer must continue to live by faith. So if they were to shrink back and walk away from Christ, throw away their confidence in God and the gospel promises he has made, they are not just missing out on a few perks or rewards. He's saying God has no pleasure in them 
and they shrink back and are destroyed. He's making a comparison here between enduring and shrinking back, between heaven and between and hell. See, John Calvin comments on this passage, and he says, he again sets faith and drawing back in opposition to each other and also the preservation of the soul to its perdition. And so I love what this writer is doing. He, I love his encouragement to them to look to their future, right? He, he begins this we statement. It's a call to remember where we are headed. You and I need to hear this same encouragement. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. See, they preserve their souls by placing their faith in Christ. We preserve our souls by placing our faith in Christ. And they can have great confidence in the future because their confidence is not in themselves, but in Christ. It's not in this world, but reserved in heaven. See, Peter writes a similar encouraging word in 1 Peter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we don't shrink back from Christ because Christ didn't shrink back from enduring the full suffering of the cross, for enduring the full wrath of God on our behalf down to death itself. Talk about a life of endurance. See, in Isaiah 53 describes the life the Messiah would endure. He would be despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not, surely he has borne our griefs. It is Jesus who has gained eternal life for us. And for those who put their faith in him, we have a better possession, eternal life in heaven. And it is our joy to live a life of endurance as we look to Jesus in faith. Charles Spurgeon once said, my horse invariably comes home in less time than he makes the journey out. He pulls the carriage with hearty goodwill when his face is towards home. Should not I also both suffer and labor the more joyously because my way lies towards heaven and I am on pilgrimage to my father's house, my soul's dear home and resting place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would help us set our face towards heaven. As we seek to endure and to persevere today, this week to come, we pray that we will remember your grace and remember the faith um, given to us by you to endure in the past as you grew in us a greater hope and a greater faith in your promises. And I pray that we would look forward to heaven and help us to endure today. As we go through trial and suffering for the sake of the gospel, may we rejoice as the apostles that we are counted worthy to suffer for the name, your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.